0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. slash work
1: Just before we begin today's podcast, I thought it'd be worth mentioning that the main interview for this episode was recorded just before COVID-19 lockdown in March this year. Also, a warning that we'll be examining themes including sexual assault and that these might not be appropriate for all listeners. Last year, a French athlete struggling with her form allowed her former coach to come back and help her with her training. No big thing then. Except this was a man she had years earlier when she was a teenager accused of sexually assaulting her.
2: Don't talk about it, don't say anything about it, pretend it doesn't exist. Ophelie Claude Boxbergere was aiming
1: for one last shot at getting to the 2020 Olympics. But even now, with the Games pushed back to next year, those hopes are in jeopardy because she tested positive for a performance enhancing drug. Sensationally, it was her coach who admitted he'd drugged her without her knowledge. <laughs>
3: I am very angry because it's not a case of doping. It's a case of jealousy.
1: This is a story of abuse with a twist. This month, UK Sport revealed one in ten athletes had witnessed inappropriate behavior from coaches or officials. So perhaps there are lessons we can learn here in Britain from Laffaire Claude Boxberger. You're listening to stories of our times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, drugs, sexual abuse, and jealousy. Last year, the top French athlete, Ophélie-Claude Boxberger answered a knock on her
3: door. The French anti-doping agency came first. They showed me a document which said there'd been a positive result. She'd
1: tested positive for EPO, the same drug that cyclist Lance Armstrong was found guilty of using. It was, she said... Terrible
3: surprise. And I replied, that's not possible. And they told me that was the result and it gave me the paperwork.
1: After a disappointing World Athletics Championships, Claude Boxberger had been turning for redemption to the Olympics. But now, aged 31 and facing a drugs ban, it seemed her career was done. Just another depressing case of an athlete found cheating then. The Times Paris
2: correspondent Adam Sage came across the story one evening at home in his kitchen. It was a Sunday night, I think it was in December, when I was doing The Washing Up and listening to a radio station, RMC, did a very long interview with her and she was talking away rather nervously but unfolding this extraordinary story and I was just stopped doing The Washing Up and was listening to this story on the radio and I thought, wow, that's just astonishing. Can you take me through where you found her? She lives in Montbéliard, which is a small provincial town in eastern France. they got the train there. It was really deep, quiet, provincial France. And she lives in a little house at the end of the road. Very nervous, really, when we were talking. and We spent about an hour and a half, two hours together. I uh, always felt that she was really struggling to keep control of her emotions, struggling to stop it all spilling out. She's had a successful career as an athlete, but a very tough life. So, she didn't feel to you like somebody who was just rehearsing a story she'd told many times? There was definitely, to me, an element of fragility. One more question or the wrong question, and she's just going to burst into tears, and the control's going to go. Now, you knew something about her before you actually went. Ophélie-Claude Boxberger was born and brought up in Montbéliard, in this very quiet, provincial town, by her mother. She was the daughter of Jackie Boxberger, the famous middle-distance runner. she competed in the Olympics four times. He was a big name in France, a household name. She was aged 12 when he was killed on a safari in Kenya. He had been urging Orphélique to take up athletics. I mean, she was a very talented child, and he'd been saying, try running, try following me in running. And she decided to do that and to join the local athletics club in September after the school holidays, but I was keeping that as a surprise for him had never
3: told him.
4: I always won the cross-country
3: races at school, but I wasn't a member of a club. I had decided to join an athletics club in September 2001, but sadly, my father died that August, so he never knew. It's sad because I'd wanted to surprise him, and it's very painful to me that he never saw me run. It was a dream of mine. There's something
1: really poignant here. I imagine she would have hero worship because he was a very famous athlete. Says to her, if just before he is killed, you should take up athletics, she's about to, it's a surprise for him, and then
2: he's killed. It's the sort of thing that shapes your whole life, really, isn't it? There is a sense in which she's always been running after him, I think, trying to live up to his memory and his performances, and I think it left her very vulnerable somehow. She took up athletics in the local club in Montbéliard. quickly became very dependent on her coach, His name was Annan Flacus. He was a local (laughs) coach, paid a lot of attention to her. So let's generalise for a a moment, Adam.
1: Uh, How common is this kind of relationship in France? The older man acting as the mentor to the younger woman professionally and in other
2: disciplines? It's a hidden part of sport in general, but we're seeing it now in France that there are a whole series of cases that show just how male coaches, essentially only male coaches, do become extremely preeminent in the lives of young athletes. And and if they have a manipulative tendency, then manipulation is often the result with some very, very unpleasant consequences.
1: So what did Ophélie tell you about how the relationship between her
2: and Alain Flacus developed? He ended up in a relationship with her mother. I don't think he'd live with her mother, but he spent a lot of time with her mother and they were together as a couple. He'd go on holiday with her, for instance, spend a lot of time at the house, and then there was a the relationship at the sports club. He was not just her coach by then, he was effectively her stepfather. He was something like that. It was a relationship that was going from the athletics club to the home life. I mean, it was all-encompassing, really. She says that fairly quickly, from the age of 13 or so, he started sexually abusing her. He denies that. She says that it went on for four years, at the athletics club, at home, on holiday.
3: (inaudible) And it's true, my mother knew about it. She had seen things because he touched me during family holidays.
2: She says that her mother was aware of it turned a blind eye to it. She started talking about it openly at the age of 17. She told her mother. She told the chairman of her athletics club. And how did her mother react when she did actually
4: make it public? My mother and
3: grandmother were ashamed (laughs) and didn't want me to file a lawsuit. It was taboo, and my family were ashamed... They didn't want anyone to know. They said, shut up and don't talk about it.
2: Don't tell anyone outside the family. If you do, it will bring shame on the whole family. So the mother who stayed with and Flacus, who her daughter was accusing her of abusing her, essentially tried to cover it up.
1: It must have taken some courage for her at the age of 17, given all that, to go public.
3: You hear these stories, but the girls wouldn't speak out about shame. It's a taboo subject in sport.
2: She told the chairman of our local athletics club, and the athletics club for whom she ran, he alerted local prosecutors, said, I think we've got a problem with this coach, you should do something about it.
3: At the time, I was ashamed and didn't want to file a lawsuit because I was ashamed and I didn't want anyone to know. I was 17.
2: The prosecutors took no action. The only concrete result of what Ophelia Claude actually did then at the age of 17 was that there was an internal French Athletics Federation investigation which suspended him for six months. So in what year was he suspended? It was 2008. His official formal coaching career came to an end then.
1: Now how did Flacus
2: react to the charges she made?
1: He's always denied them and continues to deny them. Was there any independent evidence of the possibility of that relationship? Alain Flacuse wrote to her.
4: He
3: wrote me letters and said he was in love with me, that when he touched me, they were acts of love and weren't intended to hurt me. I still have the letters somewhere, but I'd find it very difficult to reread them.
2: He never, in those letters, as far as I know, specifically admitted to sexual abuse. He did say in them something like he might have done or said things that might be misinterpreted. What was the more public reaction to her claims at that time? She says that there was an article in the local newspaper, Les Républicains, uh, which said that there was a coach at the athletics club who had been accused of sexual abuse and that there were rumours flying around. It didn't name him, it didn't name her, and that was it. This month,
1: UK Sport, the government department responsible for funding Olympic and Paralympic athletes has been in the news. A study revealed only 49% of athletes who responded to a survey said they were confident misbehaviour from coaches and staff would lead to action – that's down from 64% just three years ago – and follows the response to a series of bullying scandals. The body says it's under no illusion more work needs to be done to provide reassurance to athletes it appears they're also acknowledging this problem across the channel
2: this is a subject that has long been brushed under the carpet in france very little talk about it publicly i think in the police or prosecutors or any of the institutional actors who might be able to do something about it really you have to fast forward to The last six months, perhaps, for it all of a sudden to become an issue in France with cases coming out. But back then, I think the reaction of Ophélie, Claude Berksperger's mother and grandmother, don't talk about it, don't say anything about it, pretend it doesn't exist. You could take that as a pretty general, stereotypical French reaction. Now... There she is at 17, she's made this complaint. What does she then do? She cut all her links with her family for a decade. She changed her coat, she went on with her career. She did see her mother and grandmother from time to time, but very, very rarely.
3: I cut links with my whole family for more than 10 years because I didn't want to have a direct relationship with Alan Flaccus. I saw my mother very rarely, she came from time to time to see my competitions, but there was no mother-daughter relationship during those ten years.
2: There were no Christmas meals, no holidays together, and she was really living a separate life from the rest of her family.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: In 2016, Claude box failed to make it to the Olympics in Rio. Her chances of emulating her father are slipping away. After a visit from her mother, she makes a decision that would shock most people.
2: Her mother came to see her and said, listen, I would be really happy if you forgave Alan for what he did. He's really sorry if he's moved on. He's not going to do it again. Her mother was still with him. If you could forgive him and, and patch up the relationship, it would just be a great thing for me and for my family. At this point last year, Ofili had no coach, was trying to coach herself and the mother said, well listen, Alain can come back and just coach you in an informal way, going out with you on the bicycle, while you're running beside him, it would be a help to you. Incredibly, Ofili-Claude Bergsbergi said yes. Does she
3: say why she said yes? That is what is hard in the world of sport. You want to become a champion so much that you are capable of putting your life as a woman in brackets.
2: And I think that's exactly what she did. Somehow she managed to push the rest of it, the abuse allegations, everything else, into the back of her mind.
3: The problem when you are a sportsman or sportswoman is that you see your career as more important than anything else. I saw the champion I could become, and I drew a curtain over all of that, saying, look, it's your sporting career.
1: Now, how old would she have been then, and how old was he?
2: She's 31. He's 40 years older than her. He's in his early 70s. That's right. She said that he came back and there was no more sexual abuse, that he did say sorry. Whether sorry is an omission or not, is isn't a moot point.
3: He apologised. I had no problems in 2019. The relationship had really improved. Did she
1: say at all how she felt those first times when she was having to meet him
2: and then train with him? She says she was on her guard, she was distrustful.
3: It remains anchored in you, all that has happened. You can't just wipe it out. But
2: that he just stayed on his bicycle, bicycled alongside her, helped her running. So
1: the moment comes when they're going beyond just him cycling beside her. They're going to get into some more intensive training.
2: In the run-up to the World Athletics Championships in Doha, she was struggling to make the minimum qualification times. And the French Athletics Federation said to her, we really think that if you're going to make it, you need to go off for a month in a training camp in font which is in the Pyrenees. She said, well, are you going to give me a coach? And the French Athletics Federation said, no. Alain Flacu said, well you haven't got a formal coach, it'd be very difficult to go after this training camp on your own, I'll come with you. And there again, she said yes. So the woman with the man she said
1: abused her when she was a child, when he was a coach, and who was with her mother, she then later effectively finds herself in a small
2: apartment with him sleeping in the same apartment. Exactly, and no one is telling her... There's a problem here, not her mother, not her grandmother, nor the French Athletics Federation. Does she have at this stage anyone else in her life? She was in a new relationship with Jean-Michel Serrat, who was the French Athletics Federation team doctor. Serrat visited her from time to time in Fontainebleau. In the Pyrenees. In the Pyrenees, exactly. During those visits from him, it was obvious to her that something was wrong with flacuse because he showed sort of childish jealousy.
4: It's
3: difficult. I had to cohabit with him, and he was jealous. And it manifests itself with stupid behaviour. Jean-Michel would give me presents, he gave me flowers, and he'd take them away. Jean-Michel gave me a box of chocolates, and he ate all of them. He even took a dress that Jean-Michel had given me. He threatened to leave, but if he left, I couldn't have carried on training.
1: So somehow or other, they muddle through this camp in the Pyrenees. Yeah. And does she qualify for the World Championships?
2: She made it in the end. She qualified for Doha in the autumn and she went there and produced her worst performance of the season. It was an all-round disaster. Came home, started preparing to try to qualify for the Olympics.
1: Ophélie Claude Boxberger's decision to allow Alain Flacus back into her life might seem surprising. What we now know happened at that training camp in the Pyrenees. is incredible. Beginning of November,
2: she was sitting at home and there was a knock at the door. She opened the door and there were, uh, I think, three officials from the French anti-doping agency to say that she'd been tested positive for EPO, performance enhancing product. She told me she looked at them in amazement, no, there got to be a mistake. I went to the Athletics Championship and I performed worst performance of the season. Do a counter-check, it's not possible. She said there were three gendarmes that searched her house, three other gendarmes that searched her mother's house, and three more that uh, went to question Jean-Michel Serra, who was on a train to Paris, who was told to get off a train in Burgundy. So their early suspicions, obviously,
1: are that her boyfriend, the French team doctor, has connived with her to try and get a better performance in Doha. Yes, I mean, it was an obvious scenario, completely, yeah. But then it emerged that that wasn't the story.
2: Ten days later, she got a telephone call from her mother, who said, Alan Flackage has just come to my home and said that he was the one who injected you with the doping substances while you were dozing, while he was massaging you at the training camp in the
3: Pyrenees. This story is crazy, because in the evening, my mother called me. I'd been at the police station, and she told me it's Alan who was responsible for the result. But because she's in a relationship with him, she said, no one must know, don't tell anyone. But because of what had happened in the past, I called the police to tell them what my mother had just said.
2: The police then went and questioned Alan Flacus. He confirmed the same story in an interview that he gave to the local newspaper, told them what he told the police is that he'd bought two syringes at a car park in Andorra. Whilst Philly was semi-asleeping, he'd taken one out in the training camp, injected it into her hip and then thrown it in the bin.
3: It woke me up and I asked him what he was doing. He said, I pinched you or I scratched you. I could never imagine that someone could do something like this.
2: She never thought anything of it. He says that the second syringe he never used, he threw it away. Every way you look at the story, it feels slightly unbelievable. What on earth would have been his motivation? What he told police and what he told the local French newspaper was that he was jealous of Jean-Michel Serrat, her boyfriend. He knew that Jean-Michel Serrat would be the prime suspect and that he'd acted out of
3: jealousy. <laughs> I am very angry because it's not a case of doping, it's a case of jealousy.
1: What did you feel about
2: the story as she told it to you? Obviously, you can wonder and ask, did she know? Is it true that she had no idea? I don't know. I can only repeat what she says, but the questions being asked by the investigators are legitimate. Obviously, as a journalist, it's something that you come across often when you talk to women who have been sexually abused, that there is an element of control and manipulation.
1: Have there been other stories coming out at the same time about French sports?
2: There's been a flood of similar stories that began with what awfully club boxbury said one sport after another is being affected by allegations of sexual abuse in quite extraordinary way i mean we've had athletics ice skating swimming mountaineering skiing gymnastics horse riding do you think there are any implications for us here in britain i think there are young women in many fields with an older male Mentor that can be in sport, but it's not only in sport. If you're pinning your aspirations and your ambitions somehow on that man, you're vulnerable. I say younger women, you know, young boy as well. Of course, it's the same thing. You're vulnerable and you're probably not going to react the same way as other teenagers may react to behaviour that is unacceptable. Let's talk about what happens now to the principles
1: Alain Flacus, what does his future look like?
2: He's under investigation over the doping allegations. The probability is that he will be at least charged. He potentially could go to prison. Awfully Claude berks told me that he no longer has any contact with her family. He's a pretty lonely old man, I would think. As for FLE herself... She's been suspended from running, pending a full investigation by the anti-doping agency. She hopes that the suspension will be lifted.
3: Tokyo is really my objective, so I'm stuck. I can't train properly or go on training camps and continue my preparations as in previous years.
2: She's 31. It would be her last Olympics. One could imagine that time is running out for her to make it even if the suspension is lifted one fears for her that she will never make it to the Olympics and she will never be able to honour her father's memory in that way.
3: That's what's hard, is that I worked very hard to get to this level, and for it to end because of someone else is unacceptable, and I'll never be able to forgive. Is she angry? Difficult
2: to know. She was so, so intent, Uh, this was my feeling on controlling her emotions during the interview, she was so intent on, on keeping a lid on it all. It was the little gestures, she poured me a glass of water and then knocked the glass over, looking at her hands, trembling just slightly. I think it's a complicated process. She's seen psychologists through the years to talk about her childhood, what she says is the abuse of her childhood. Maybe somehow, when her athletics career comes to an end, when she can move beyond that almost obsession with competitive sport, with with honouring the memory of her father, she may then come to see herself, yes, as a victim of a rather nasty culture, I think.
1: Since recording this podcast, Alain Flacus has retracted his confession and says he made it up to save Claude Boxberger's career... However, she has filed a criminal lawsuit against him for allegedly poisoning her. The hearing is scheduled in November. Meanwhile, Claude Boxberger remains suspended from running, but she's awaiting a full hearing of the French Anti-Doping Agency's Sanctions Committee. Due to coronavirus, the Olympics scheduled this year will now take place next July. We hope. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, The Times' Paris correspondent, Adam Sage. You can read more of Adam's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Will Rowe and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rawfast, Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. Now we're available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. See you soon.